Often uh, our lives feel pressured. Maybe you feel pressured today. Sometimes we feel so pressured or busy, stressed, that we just kind of feel like we, we need a rest. We need some rest. We've been pushing, pushing, pushing for maybe many years, maybe many days, or maybe just this morning. And, and, and so your body feels weak. Maybe emotionally you feel weak. Maybe spiritually you feel weak. Uh, you just, just kind of spent, and you need a break. All right, well, this is your break. Take a break. No naps. No, that'd be okay. That'd be okay if you need that. But um, Jesus took power naps. I've learned the power of power naps re- recently, and that's just so helpful. Um, it's interesting to think that Jesus wore down, in one sense, physically. And he stopped to take a nap. One day he was teaching uh, all day long, ministering to people's needs, giving and giving and giving, and he was spent. And so he got in a little boat and he said, disciples, autopilot, you guys got this, and he took a power nap. He went to sleep. And as he slept, you know what happened, a a huge storm uh, came, and, and, and it was such a storm that the disciples feared for their life, right? So Jesus, he hands it over to them for a few minutes while he gets a nap. And uh, they're at their wit's end. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Save us, Lord. And they wake him up from his nap. And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it became perfectly calm. That is amazing. You see a dog barking and barking and barking, and you hear the owner say, hush, and that dog just sits and and shuts up. It's pretty cool. This is what Jesus does with a deadly storm. It's barking and barking and barking. This thing is going to eat us. Lord, help. And he says, literally, hush, and the storm hushed. I think we find here in this story and in many stories the, the amazing mystery of Jesus. Here he is, worn out, has to take a nap, and he's able to say, hush, and the storm stands still. We see that, I think, in the resurrection and the crucifixion. This one who is giving up his life's blood, crying, asking it to leave. Of course, most excruciating, the separation with the Father. And yet, he's able to look over here and say, your sins are forgiven. The same one who's weak and dying is able to forgive sins. So how does this happen? Well, today we'll read the story, the, I would say the, the way the Gospels announce it, what we've said, the enunciation of the gospel. But then we get to Romans and we get the explanation of the gospel. All right, so let's read through the story together, Matthew 28, and, and it will, we'll find this as in the explanation, when we turn over to the explanation, right, the gospels just share it. They just say, this is what's happening. They don't stop and say, look at, this is so important. Look at all what's going on here and, and go through detail. The Holy Spirit decided to do that later through your epistles in your Bible. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John share the story, Annunciation, 
But we really got to pick the Bible and keep going. It's, it's central to your faith to keep reading Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and so forth. And as we were discovering as a church, that book of Romans, that letter is so important. Uh, it's foundational to your life and to your spiritual growth. And so we're going verse by verse through it, and we've come to a little part that explains the resurrection. Okay, so right now we're going to look at the account of the powerful story in Matthew and just kind of walk through that quickly. And then we're going to look at the explanation of that powerful story as given through the Holy Spirit in the, in the little letter of Romans. Okay, so let's look at the account first of all, the account of the powerful story. Matthew 28, and the Lord shows his power in great ways that really kind of push off our fears. So if you're fearful today of these two things, I trust the Lord will minister this truth to you through Matthew 28, and you'll leave uh, not fearful but believing. Look at the power over the fear of death, first of all, verses 1 to 6. Power over the fear of death, right? So if you're a note taker, this is on page 7 of your worship guide, page 7 over your, in your worship guide there. Power over the fear of death, verse 1. Um, Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. We find this faithful group, right? It's it's rare to find faithful ones. Dominic was sharing this in our Sunday school uh, session here, right? The, The disciples had forsaken him and fled. One had betrayed him to death. The other one denies him with cursing and swearing. The ladies come and stand at his side. So we find the faithful group at the crucifixion, but they also come the first time they can after the Sabbath rest, and they come to burying spices to prepare uh, his body for burial. And so we find at least six different ladies, at least three different Marys. So it gets a little confusing here. Uh, but here's Mary Magdalene. The other Mary came to look at the grave, but several other ladies too. His, his mother came as well. Um, And we find them coming to to anoint Jesus' body. A faithful group of ladies. And then you meet this frightening messenger in verses 2 through 4. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, and angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. What an amazing story, right? You come there, fearing the worst, there's an earthquake, you're already... Kind of spooked out, rumblings there, and they're wondering how to roll the stone away, and this has already been done. Look at the appearance of this frightening messenger. His appearance, verse 3, was like lightning. Wow! Earthquake, lightning, this storm. His clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. We find this messenger, this herald, kind of robed in glowing white with his glorious message, but he's so scary that the soldiers fall as dead men. So much to get into here. I'm trying to just speed through it here, but it's so important to think about these soldiers. They're still posted. The soldiers are still posted. And, and they don't make this up because later on they try to kind of make up the lie that the disciples came and stole it. Well, the truth is some ladies came and they got so afraid of the angel that they, they kind of fell as dead men. Of course, Jesus had already had risen at this point. But the soldiers had marked that grave to this time. 
No one had snuck the body out. They were the best trained security force on earth, literally, the Roman government. And they were told to get a, a seal and make it as secure as you can. There's no way Mary's taking Jesus out. There's no way he's limping out. This is this, a miracle. All right. And they didn't try to right, lie or fabricate it anyway because the soldiers were there. The ladies were there. They had all the witnesses. They have this fantastic message. And this is why we're here today. Verses 5 through 6. Don't be afraid. I would need to hear that too. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's been crucified. He's not here. And you have this annunciation, glorious, glorious message today. He is not here for he has risen. And, and that's the truth. That is the truth. It's just stated. It's not giving us all the implications and explanation. We get to that in a minute. But it's just stated as a fact. This is amazing. It's astounding. Jesus is alive. Okay, what do we do about that? We'll get to it. He's not here. He's risen. Listen, come and see. See the place where he's lying. Okay, so this is a wonderful thing. Jesus had said this already. Right? This is what he told you, the angel said. I don't think he's upset with them, but he's like, listen, why are you afraid? He told you this was going to happen. In fact, a few weeks earlier, he rose Lazarus from the grave, maybe up to a couple months earlier. And he, he brought Lazarus from the grave and he said to Mary, I am the resurrection. It's not just that he has the power of resurrection, but he is the resurrection. He is the the one person who is resurrection in life. And so Jesus gives power to conquer our death too. And we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus gives victory over death in that way. There's also power over the fear of separation. Power over the fear of, of death and power over the fear of separation. How does he, he give that? He, he kind of sets up a meeting. Um, he, he plans a future meeting. And we'll just kind of answer two questions here. How does he give power over separation? And then what is the result of him giving this victory over death and separation? Well, I think it's helpful and comforting for all of us because all of us have lost loved ones. And uh, no doubt, maybe even today, you're thinking about sitting with them in church in the past. And it's difficult for you today. Well, Jesus helps us with that. Uh, he, he plans a future meeting, not just with them, but with all of us. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Behold, I've told you. Verse 8, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And Jesus met them and greeted them. So Jesus meets them on the way to the meeting, and we find this right, glorious truth that, that Christ brings us together as a spiritual family in a very real way. Did it at the Passover meal. They forsook him and fled. And he said, come again, let us meet. There will be a day when we all meet again. And hopefully it's not next Easter. <laughs> hopefully we meet several times before then. But there will be a time when we'll all meet again on the other side of death as Jesus is meeting with them on the other side of death. And that comforts us today, that 
that the victory over death brings to all of us the hope of life eternal with one another and with our loved ones who've gone before. Martin Luther describes one of the greatest trials he ever faced was the death of his 13-year-old daughter. It was a deep challenge for he and his wife. Can't read all of his quotes. It is, it's, they're hard to read. But Luther said, ah, sweet lechen, he says, you will rise again. You will shine like a star, like the sun. Because of Jesus, our parting is not forever. It's but for a bit. And it helps us. It helps us in life. It helps us in life as we see death. Because there is great sorrow in death. And that's going to be all put together in just a moment from Romans. So, what is the result of this? Again, they're just, he's just telling the story. But we're like, wow, this is amazing. What, what, what do we do with this? Well, what did they do? What is the result of Jesus' victory over death? Well, they bow and worship. Look at that. Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This one has power over death. Worship him. Okay? And it's just what happened. Just telling the story. So why? Why is that so significant? Why worship him? Lazarus rose. Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave. Little lady... He rose from the grave, Jairus' daughter. So why worship Jesus? So let's transition now to the explanation of this in Romans. What we're doing as a church is just going really carefully through this letter of Paul the Apostle to the Roman church and finding it's just so important for our soul because he hadn't been to that church yet, and so he's giving them the gospel, making sure they're on the same page, and it's just, just helpful for us to really understand the nuances of Christianity, right? And grow in our faith. And this book does this for us. So let's look at the explanation of the power, powerful story. And we're just going to do one verse, okay? We're going to be one, do one verse and we'll be done. An explanation of the most powerful story in history. Romans 1, 4. So in your Bible, you can go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. This is the first letter Right? I do believe that letters are the most read genre today. Or you say, I don't write any letters. I don't read any letters. If I have to, I read an email, maybe a text, maybe an article. But I do believe that letters are the most read art, uh, literature today because of the Bible. There's 13 of them right there in your Bible, and they're read by Christians all over the world every day. So here we have a letter that's explaining the gospel. Verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's giving us an explanation of what's happening. And as we go through these phrases, all of us will be on the same page leaving today ready to worship and serve our Lord Jesus. Okay? So let's look at an overview, put us where we are in this text, okay? So we've already seen the prophecy about the gospel, right? This is Paul, verse 1 says he's set apart for the gospel of God. And then he gets stuck on that. Remember, he gets stuck on that all the way from verse 2 to verse 7. He's going to talk about the gospel, the good news, 
So he's set apart for the gospel, which... And then he's going to talk about this gospel being prophesied beforehand. This is not new with Paul. This is not new with Christians. This is straight from the Jewish Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, and it's just saying the same story. The good news of Jesus Messiah is the same story from Genesis to Revelation. Set apart for the Gospel of God, which He promised. Okay, so the prophecy of the Gospel, He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scripture. But it's concerning His Son. Okay, so He started this last week, verse 3, concerning His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And so there we got the human side of Jesus, His human nature in one person. That's the person of the Gospel. And then today, the power of the Gospel. Concerning His Son, who was descended from David, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. Okay? So that's the prophecy, person, and power of the Gospel. Today we get to that power, and I trust you'll claim the power of the gospel for yourself. Got a few questions there. What is declared in the resurrection of Jesus? What, what was declared there? You see the text, verse 4. What was declared in the resurrection of Jesus? It was declared what? That Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection declared that Jesus is the Son of God in power. Okay, so the action is that he is declared something. Uh, the action is that Jesus is declared. Uh, that word is an, an interesting word. It's the word from which we get our word horizon. The original is the word from which we get our word horizon. And it, the idea is you look out all and you see where the land matches the sky. It's like a definitive line. There's a demarcation there between land and sky. And it's good for your eyes to get off the phone for a little bit, and see as far as you can. It's healthy for your eyes to look at the horizon. Uh, but the idea then is a, a boundary, right? That Jesus, there's this, there's this clearly marked boundary. It's used in Acts 17 of the boundary of countries. I don't know if you realize this, but God fixes a map. And, and when we look at the politics of today, we see all these maps changing and, and there's wars and rumors of wars and you're like, oh my. But, but the Bible says that Jesus fixes those boundaries. There's a clear boundary line that God has placed in different countries, in nations. Okay, And the idea is it's, it's a clearly declared line. You can see it there because God has placed it there. God declares some nations to fall, some nations to rise, and it's just a matter of time. All nations do it. I'm reminded of Daniel's vision with Belshazzar as the Babylonian kingdom is falling. There is a declaration on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, ufarsin. The idea is, you're done. <laughs> You've been weighed in the balances and your kingdom is done. There's a clear line in this declaration. That would be a good picture of our word here. There's this clear declaration written on the wall. Jesus, Son of God. That's clear now. You could have doubted it before because he was sleeping on the boat. Because he was bleeding. Because someone was washing his feet with her hair and it, she was a notorious sinner. 
But in those scenes, we also see, wait a second, but he rebuked the storm, he rose from the grave, and he forgave her sin. So there's this son of man, but then there's this son of God. So this is declared to be so. You could have doubted it up to the resurrection and said, yeah, there, there was just some, a bunch of amazing coincidences right here, but there's no doubting it because of the resurrection. It's clearly seen for us to this day, Jesus, risen from the, the grave, declared to be son of God, marked out for us. It's the Son of God with this kind of power, right? A declared title, Son of God, a declared ability. He's declared this way with power. This is the power that Jesus has. It is a resurrection kind of power, the power over life and death. Right? Scientists do a lot of great things, <laughs> Uh, and, and I really appreciate those of you who've given your lives to study how to help the human body. But at some point, someone dies, and that's just all you can do. It's, it's almost a mystery. This person's life is gone. They're, they're the brain and the heart just stop, and it's like other people keep on going. And there's no power to restore that life once that death happens. Science is limited in that it cannot bring life to to non-living items. Never has been able to. They can't take that piano and make it alive. Just can't do it. You've never seen life come from non-life. Has to start with some kind of cell or some kind of organism. And so it's amazing here that, that death is so final. That the power, the power involved is something that we cannot copy as humans and so you read Genesis I'll, for the sake of time we won't go there but you read Genesis and, and, and you find Adam and Eve sinned and they died but then you keep reading and it's like Genesis is piling this theme up upon us right Seth lived 105 years and then he died Enoch lived 90 years and then another bunch of other years, and he died. And, and, and then his son died. 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 And ever since then, everyone who has ever been born, except those of you who are living, has died. I don't mean to be a downer here, but this is, this is just what happens. It's part of sin. The results of sin on humanity. God didn't make us that way, but we chose to rebel against him. And, and since then, death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so this is how powerful our Lord is. He steps in and he stops the domino of death. You line everybody up in human history. He died, he died, he died, she died, she died, she died, she died, she died all the way down. And then, boom, there's this kind of power. Jesus became alive. He has that kind of power resurrection power. Everyone else dies and it's done. Jesus comes to life. And because of that, he can pass that power on. Why? Because Jesus stood in the place of all of our sin. Sin brings death. Adam, his son, Seth, his son, his son. Because they all sin, they all die. Jesus comes, he dies for all of our sin. 
And because he's the son of God, he's able to both die and his death is able to be sufficient for all of us because he's son of God. Son of man to die, son of God to be sufficient for, for all of you. And so Jesus has the power to suspend the laws of nature, to set the captive free, the power over sin, hell, and death. And his death is for us all. His life is for us all. Quickly through here, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, resurrection power, that you cannot deny it. This is amazing power. Now, who brings about this power? What is the next phrase? Who is declared to be the Son of God in power, according to whom? The Spirit of Holiness. The Spirit of Holiness. I don't know if any of you did the, the pre-study here to the sermon with the email, but we, I asked, who is that? Um, there's, there's a little bit of debate there, and I'll just take it just a moment with this, okay? But what we have is, is two parallel statements in verse 3 and verse 4. These are they're very parallel. Uh, this is all concerning his son. And then you have the, the, the word and is making those two parallel. In fact, some people think it was maybe even a hymn or a poem. Concerning his son and then descended and declared are the two type, same two types of words. Right? So uh, concerning his son, descending from David or declaring, same idea, declared to be son of God. Son of man. Son of God. And then you have the same word according to. Right? So Jesus is son of David, human, son of God, divine. According to the flesh. Son of David according to the flesh. And then you have on the other side, declared to be the son of God according to who? The spirit. According to the flesh, according to the spirit. So some would say, well, maybe that's talking about his spirit. Um, but what I believe it is talking about, and most commentators believe that this is talking about God's Holy Spirit. So according to David, this son of David, according to human means, but according to God, the Holy Spirit's divine means, uh, he is resurrected from the dead. And so the Holy Spirit is the very person who brings about, he accomplishes by his power, the resurrection. The Holy Spirit is the power of the resurrection. Um, he, he, Jesus was born of the son of David and then born of God through the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, he also was uh, moved by the power of the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. And now we find even in the resurrection, Jesus is raised by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And so we have this Amazing Trinitarian theory, uh, formula. God the Father, God the Son, being raised by God the Holy Spirit. God the Son implies God the Father, and God the Son is being raised by God the Holy Spirit. Uh, showing that the Holy Spirit is uh, essential for us today. Essential for you today. Um, Jesus is raised again by resurrection power through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this gives us all comfort. When we ask the Lord to use us, um, the issue is not your giftedness, right? You say, boy, I want to use, be used of God greatly today. I want to be used of God at work tomorrow. Uh, now, he uses your strengths and your weaknesses, right? Uh, but you know what it all comes down to is the Holy Spirit using you. 
Are you asking God to work through you through the power of his Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit fills us and enables us and strengthens us. Moody was uh, preaching in England. Of course, he was uh, not very educated, and, and he was looked down on by some of the, the elites there in these Anglican church. Mr. Moody, uneducated and inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Another pastor rose and responded, No, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Right, And that is the important thing. Lord, uh, by your power, by your resurrection power, would you please use me today? Would you please give me the strength to walk in the Spirit and not according to the works of the flesh? And that gives us grace to be a better mom, a better dad, a better co-worker, a better son, a better daughter. Gives us grace to be a Christ-like person, a Christian, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I would love to get sidetracked here. I'm not going to do it. We're going to finish here with the third point. But I, I do not believe that everyone can do the same works, all the same works that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people will say that. But, but if, right, Jesus also said, your sins are forgiven you, right? And, and we can't say that. Uh, Jesus can only forgive sins. Okay. Let's get to the last one here. Um, so who brings about the power of the resurrection? Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what is the subsequent title of Jesus following the resurrection? And this is kind of our, our culminating point from the, all of this today. Jesus declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of His holiness by His resurrection from the dead. And then look at this closing title. Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he's declared to be the Son of God, he changes from Jesus, Son of Joseph, Jesus, Son of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. You read that in the Gospels. Now in the Epistles, you know what you read? Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Type in the Lord in a Bible search and you'll find hundreds of hits. And you know who they are all talking about? From Genesis? Yahweh. The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. Because he's son of God, declared to be so at the resurrection from the dead, this title changes. And, and we do need to be careful even as a church as we sing about Jesus. We, we can kind of slight his name by not saying our Lord Jesus. I'm not saying you can't, but, but the pattern was then from now on there's this title associated with him which brings him to a greater significance in their eyes and in our eyes that clarify he is not just Jesus, right? That's the first phrase, first title, that's his human name. He's not just Christ, that's Messiah. That's his title as the one sent from God, an anointed one. He is what? Our Lord. Our Lord. As Thomas said, our Lord and our God. Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God. He goes from just a man to an example to a rabbi to a hero, to Messiah, to now God. And New Testament repeatedly uses this phrase to talk about Jesus. And that's why this is the significance here. 
This is why when Jesus appeared to Thomas, he bows down and he says, My Lord and my God. As Jesus appears to these ladies, they know and they bow to him and they worship him because he is Lord. I have several references here for the sake of time. I'm going to just put these on the back table. Here is a a whole article on this that I'm happy to to give to you. Um, But on the back there, on the back of this article, you have several of these references where the New Testament authors clearly, as as they quote passages about Jesus, they, they synonymously use Yahweh with Lord. They're showing that Jesus is our Lord and our God. And that's why this is a worship service to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Every knee will bow to Him. Who is that talking about? Jesus in Philippians 2. Who's it talking about in Isaiah? Yahweh. Used synonymously in several places. Okay, And I have a lot of these. I'll put these on the back table if that's something a study you'd like to go to. And so, today on the resurrection, let me just apply that this way. Have you come to Jesus not just as Yeshua, Joshua? Have you come to him as Messiah? Great. Accept him as Messiah. But have you accepted him as your Lord? As your Lord. Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So it's just a matter of time. You can do it today, or you can do it in the future when we've all passed into eternity. At that point, it's too late. You either bow to him as Lord now, or in the future. Let me encourage you to bow to him as Lord now. Follow the example of the first that saw him in his resurrection state, and bow to him. If you'll confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, that Christ has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, with the mouth we confess, resulting in salvation. We have to confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That he has risen from the grave. He has defeated death. Christ went from death to to life, that we might have eternal life. Um, today, I don't know where you are in your heart. Um, maybe you're struggling with life, with the meaning of life, with life after death, with uh, setbacks, with sorrows. Maybe you've come in feeling miserable. Uh, Charles felt that way. Uh, he was the 18th of 19 children. So that would make you feel a little miserable. Uh, Many moms there. Uh, There were setbacks in his family. A family that large would be difficult. His dad was something of a pastor. Uh, He had a family. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, a parishioner set their house on fire, um, nearly killing his brother. But as Charles and his brother John continued into religiousness, Uh, They became more miserable. They were very spiritual, very strict in obeying all the rituals of Christianity, but miserable. In fact, Charles put it this way, every day is bitterness. 
Every day is a bitter day. He went with his brother to the U.S. from England and had a mission, started a Christian mission as a miserable man. He returned to England after having uh, some strife with a local magistrate because they disagreed. Uh, Just miserable man. But as he got back to England, he heard uh, the glorious gospel that Jesus paid it all. It's not something you do, it's something that he has done. Uh, this is a great little book that we want to offer any of you today who, uh, who are new. We have a little gift for you. Really hones in on that idea, right? You don't work your way to God by being good. Jesus worked his way to God by being good. And we are clothed in his righteousness. But Charles was trying to create his own righteousness through works of the Anglican Church. You could say Baptist Church. You could say Catholic Church. Any type of religious system. And it didn't assuage his conscience. And then he heard the glorious gospel, the good news that Christ has died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he rose again to give us victory over that sin debt. Uh, And he was gloriously born again. It became his constant mantra and theme. He wrote over up to 9,000 poems and songs. Uh, One of them we began with, and it is not one of bitterness and sadness. It's one of glorious, glorious joy. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Earth and heaven, let angels say, Hallelujah. Raise your joys and triumphs high. Sing, heaven's earth reply, Alleluia. Love's redeeming work is done. Fought the fight, the battle won. Right? He stopped fighting himself and realized Jesus has won. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. King of glory, soul of bliss, everlasting life is this. Thee to know, thy power to prove, Thus to sing and thus to love. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I I wonder if you know that truth. Have you recognized that Jesus has paid it all? Have you accepted him as your Lord? And so I would just just appeal to you today. um, and, And I just, as I prayed about this, I just feel like the Lord would have me end this way. I would... I would not just appeal to you, I would say in, as what Jesus would say, he is God, he deserves your worship. Okay? It's not just a fun thing here, a traditional thing. Adam and Eve rebelled against him in that garden and went their own way. And he punished them. And he could have left us, left us all in our state. But instead, he came. And he entered another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he died in our place. But then he brings us to another garden, the Garden of the the Empty Tomb, and he brings that offer to you again. But like Thomas, you have to bow. You can't keep going your own way. You have to say, my Lord and my God, I lay down all my arms, my rebel arms, and I, I stop resisting. Forgive me. You're my Lord and my God. It's all between you and him. I'm not in this picture. This is the message of Christianity. It's not live any way you want. It's coming to Jesus, 
bow to him as Lord and God because he commands you to. If you don't do it now, you will do it one day. And I encourage you right now to bow to him as Lord and God. I'm going to take a, just a moment of quiet for you to think about that and pray about that. Talk to him. This is, this is not church. This is between you and Jesus. Would you talk to him today and bow to him as your Lord and your God? Confess him as Lord. Confess him as God. And he will save you. He will save you. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be standing in the back lobby. In just a moment, Pastor Andrew will close us in a time of public prayer and song. But let's all bow, worshiping Jesus as Lord and God. Let's pray.